0: Morning. It's morning here, late morning, quarter till ten, Broadtown, Kentucky, from my cabin. In my videos there is a constant theme running. No matter what I think about theologically, spiritually, I'm always reminded of a core truth. I've recently been thinking about the abortion debate the demand for rights what they call reproductive rights and the rights of the unborn and the clash between them again I'm reminded of this core truth Well, the core truth is how do we know the truth? It goes to that question. The Christian has a different response than those who are not. The Christian understanding of truth and its source is this that there is a God. There is only one God. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is the reality that shapes our understanding of everything else. There is God. coming from this truth is that God is the source of all life, and he communicates that life. He empowers, creates, sustains life by his word. God said, and it is so, that's how he created in the beginning. Do we believe these things? This goes right to the heart of the matter of the difference between the believer and unbeliever in their understanding of what is truth. What is the truth about reality? What is reality? What is right and wrong? What is good and evil? What ought we to do and what we ought not to do? What is the outcome of doing good? What is the outcome of doing evil? Everything that I teach is in relation to this core truth that God is. And he is the rewarder of those Who put their faith in him? Jesus said in Matthew 4 4 in response to the devil's temptations Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit as he moved upon men to write what God had revealed to them. Everything in our lives, everything, centers upon how we receive this word of God For in the word is life. And the teaching of scripture is this, that there is no life apart from God and apart from his word. For his word is how he communicates life, how he gives life, how he sustains life. I'm going to share something about that from Matthew, a parable of Jesus, but let me say this before I do, a text that I often refer to and it's very central to me in my understanding of theology, of truth, of what is right, what is wrong, what is real what it's not I'm going to go to the book of John here if I can find it in my little Bible John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God. He is the Word. Jesus, He is the Word. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him is life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This text and others are the basis for the Christian believing that life begins with the word, not with the will of a human being. And now I'm speaking about the conception of a child. Life begins when God wills it to be so. We have a part to play in procreation. But there can be no life apart from him and his will. The conception of a child under any circumstances. And please understand what I'm saying. The conception of a child under any circumstances whether it's the couple making love and the child being the fruit of that love or whether it's more from insidious means of rape or incest there can be no life of a child without the will expressed will of God for in him is life nothing has come into being without the word of God allowing it to be so. The seed that is sown has not yet become the full fruit of the womb, the baby. But there is more than potential life at conception. There is life It's a life ordained by God And it's for Him to decide The future Moment by moment of that life Day by day We do have choice By the grace of God We can choose even to go Against His will we can choose to break God's law we can choose to take life sometimes God intercedes and prevents that but at other times he allows it but we will reap the rewards of our doings good or evil we can choose to murder And I believe that's what abortion is, ending life. We can choose to commit adultery. And as a result of that adultery, conceive a child in adultery. David and Bathsheba did that. A child was conceived, but died before growing up. The baby was born, delivered, but the child died. And that was a punishment of God. There are scriptures that say God opens the womb of women and closes the wombs as he decides. We know in the birth of Christ himself that without a sexual act between Joseph and Mary, she was a virgin. Christ was conceived. The word of God came into being. flesh. In fact, it says that here in John, doesn't it? And the Word became flesh, incarnate in Mary, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. everything depends upon how we receive the Word of God how we respond to the will of God and so we come to the parable in Matthew 13 that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and large crowds gathered to him so he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach and he spoke many things to them in parables saying Behold, the sower went out to sow. Jesus begins to illustrate spiritual things by natural illustrations, illustrations from nature. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples then ask Jesus why he teaches in parables and he gives them an explanation. And then he begins to explain to them the parable of the sower When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil This is the man who bears the word and understands it Who indeed bears fruit and brings forth Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty I'm not going to go into the depth of all of the parable But I want to bring out a couple points here that oddly enough to you to me may bear upon the question of abortion in the economy of God in the design of God from the time creation of creation by his word seed bears fruit after its own kind he says if you sow corn, you get corn. If you sow wheat, you get wheat. If you plant an apple tree, you get an apple tree. You don't get an orange tree. The conception of a child is the sowing of a seed. Children are spoken of as seeds in the scripture, the seed of man. It speaks of men spilling their seed. The planting of the seed is for a purpose, for a reason, as we see in the parable. That is, to bear fruit. There can be no fruit to be eaten, to be enjoyed, to be shared. There can be no fruit, no produce, without the sowing of the seed. That's quite obvious, isn't it? In sowing seed, a purpose a goal is in mind in theology that's called teleology teleology, goal oriented God has a purpose in creating man that man would bear fruit after his likeness that is not only the likeness of man but the likeness of God that's the purpose of the sowing of the seed. When God gives life, that seed germinates in the ground, even though it was sown. All the natural principles were followed, yet God must give life to that individual seed for there to be, to be life in it. It's the same with human conception. And in the parable we understand, and this parable points to the word of God, sowing the seed is the word of God. When the seed is sown in human hearts, the fruitfulness is controlled by the condition of the heart, how the word was received. It is not absolute in the sense that the heart cannot change. A heart that was once stony ground can become Uh, fruitful soil through faith and repentance with Christ think of this in terms of abortion the seed is sown not simply by man but by God the sower sows the seed what will we do with it what kind of ground is the seed sown into I believe that human beings are tested by the sowing of the seed. The Word of God is that seed, and a seed sown for the birth of a child is also testing, revealing the character of mother and child, of extended families, of society. Do you know that, according to the World Health Organization figures, 40 to 50 million abortions are performed each year, currently? That works out to about 125,000 abortions a day, 3,000 of those in the United States. Current figures say that about 22% of all um, pregnancies end in abortion. And that's separate from miscarriages. So with miscarriages, there are more. 22% choose to kill this unborn seed, this undeveloped seed. We speak of unwanted pregnancies, I believe it be more factual to speak of unwanted children. Ethically, most people follow what we call a consequentialist form of ethics. That is, everything that is either good or bad, everything is decided to be good or bad, depending on the consequences of the decision and the action that comes from the decision. Another form of this ethic is called utilitarianism, the utility of it. John Stuart Mill originally originated this or propounded it certainly, and it became becomes the political ethic of the day. What works and what doesn't work for the benefit of the majority? What will provide happiness for most of those people concerned? That is the ethic of deciding what is right or wrong. In the case of abortion, people say, well, if the child is not wanted, oh, that's going to be complicated. There's going to be consequences, hence the name consequentialist. What are the consequences of having an unwanted child? Well, there's consequences to the child, certainly, of being unloved, uncared for, The child is seen as a burden on the mother, especially if she's a teenage mother. The burden on the parents, especially if they're aged parents. Especially if poverty is involved, if drug use is involved. If there's a lifestyle of the mother that is not considered good for the child by those around it, abortion is often advised because of the consequences the child, the baby has done no wrong and yet it bears the consequence of others actions actions that are often irresponsible Um, teenage pregnancies especially outside of marriage irresponsible More than that, the Bible calls it sin, adultery, and fornication. Millions of children are conceived through adultery and fornication with no plan in mind of being brought into a world of a loving family, a mother and a father. So, because life is going to be hard, abortion is seen to be the convenient option to deliver us from this hardness that's going to be the consequence of giving birth what about birth defects we can now see whether a child has a down syndrome pre-screening should we abort because their life the life of the parents is going to be hard Other birth defects? The child may be born with a heroin addiction communicated to it through the lifeline of its mother What if the child is the fruit of incest? I know of such a case The Mother chose to keep the child and things have worked out not easily but the child now has a life has lived quite a while continues on there are many such cases what about the child that's conceived in rape rape Through no fault of its own, the child is unwanted by the mother, unwanted by the parents. Why is that? Largely because of shame. Shame. Fear anger. There's many things going on there. Shame. Fear is at the root of it, as it is with all trauma. The consequentialist who only looks at the circumstances that are going to result from a decision an action says that right and wrong are determined by the consequences that is not biblical ethics that is not the ethics of the christian consequences need to be considered because every act has consequences but should the consequences be the determining factor and whether something is good or something bad, especially when we're talking about taking a life that has already been conceived. The Christian will ask, where is faith? Where is trust in God in such a decision? And where did you ever come up with the idea that life was going to always be just and not be hard? If you take the position that abortion is a just action to avoid hard consequences, what do you do in the rest of your life? How does that ethic play out when life becomes hard in other ways? Do you not understand that that is the reasoning that addicts use? I want to feel good all of the time. I demand to feel good all of the time. I cannot accept the reality that life is hard and that there are necessary pains in life so I am going to take drugs or I am going to indulge to the point of addiction sex or I am going to become a gambler I am going to become a thief some people are even addicted to taking life they murder Because underneath these addictions is the issue of power and control. Have you considered that issue of who has power and who has control in the act of abortion? The woman, the woman now, a woman now, is demanding the right to have complete control, absolute power over her body. Because she believes that political entities, particularly ruled by men with misogynistic tendencies, that is, hating or prejudice against women, uh, have enacted laws to suppress her right. The issue in abortion is often, as in all other traumatic events, about power and control, how it's been misused, how authority is abused who will have who should have the power to decide the life of the child it is a child life that's begun the woman should have a right over her own body but The child within her is more than her body it is a body a distinct individual personal life that is dependent upon her and yet distinct from her let me submit to you this the one who has the right to give life who has the power to actually originate life by his word, is the only one who has the right to take that life. Not the procreators, not the woman, not the man, not the doctors. God himself has the right, and he exercises that right. Everyone who is born into this world dies, and they only die by the agreement of God we often fall into this trap of thinking that death is simply the act of nature, the wearing out of the body, the effects of disease. And yet, the Bible is very clear that it is God who gives and God who takes away. Because he uses natural means to do that, We often ignore the fact that there is a supernatural act in the giving and taking of life, and that often God does intervene in supernatural ways to both take it and to preserve it. And we have those stories throughout Scripture. The debate between the world and The Christian is hinged. The crux of the matter is this truth that there is a God, one God, who is creator and redeemer of all mankind, who does so by his word, who wills to act and to work according to his good pleasure, his sovereign right, That he alone has authority for life. Our part in any ethical decision, but especially in abortion that I'm discussing now, is to know and understand the will of God in the giving, in the conceiving of that life. And we know the will by this word. And in the word, One of those commandments of the ten is, thou shalt not kill. You shall not wantonly manslaughter. You shall not wantonly murder or take life. The corollary is, you shall be a life giver, a life supporter. You shall be pro-life according to the will of God. It's a false distinction, by the way, between pro-life and pro-choice. Everybody should be pro-life and everybody should be pro-choice. But not in the political sense, in the godly sense, according to what God has to say about choosing. And according to the parable that we saw, the choosing is choosing to receive the word of God. What is the purpose for receiving the word of God? To bear fruit, to be fruitful. We receive the sown seed, the implanted seed, to cooperate with the purposes of God in bearing fruit after his own likeness. It's been that way since the beginning of creation. It remains that way in the plan of redemption. I reject the idea that we should take matters into our own hands when the consequences seem hard, when they even seem unbearable. How can we face them? I reject the idea that we should then turn away from God's word and his ability to change To control those circumstances that are out of our hands. Have you not read the scriptures? Do you not understand how God is the Lord of life? How he delivered Israel from Egypt by a miraculous hand? How they marched around the walls of Jericho seven times and those walls failed, fell how they set their foot in the waters of the Red Sea and by his divine hand it parted and they passed through on dry ground when the Egyptians tried to do the same the waters overcame them and they died in the flood the enemies of God the enemies of Israel what works for the covenant people of God will only work for the world when the world exercises faith in God through repentance and faith that they too can have this miraculous work in their life what is the miracle we're talking about here specifically in the case of abortion God will sustain you if you know that you're going to have a child born with AIDS a child born with a birth defect Down syndrome, an addiction, a child born of incest, a child born of rape. Perhaps you conceived your child with a loving husband, a man. Before the child is born, your husband commits adultery and leaves you for another woman. Your child will bear a likeness of his father. Will God strengthen you to raise that child? Any of those children that I've mentioned in or any of those circumstances, will God strengthen you because He has given that life, He has commanded that life to be in existence? How would He not strengthen you? How would He not give you hope? How would He not give you the resources and enable you you see, well, many women have brought to term in, under hard circumstances, and terrible things resulted. Hmm. Terrible things result all the time. Sometimes, under the very best intentions, young children die. Do you know children under the best circumstances can be born into the world, and then they face abuse, sexual abuse and violence? They spend their whole life recovering from that. Where is the purpose of God? The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's the end of Romans chapter 5. That God gives grace, and the conditions of that are faith and repentance towards Him. And we also read in Romans chapter 8, That we know God says and we know that God causes all things good or bad all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose God guarantees to the person of faith to the believer to those called according to his purpose God guarantees a good outcome in bad circumstances whatever it is God guarantees a good outcome it may not be the outcome you envision it may even be suffering and death but he says it will be good it will be good we may not see or understand how something so troubling as suffering and death can be good But if you look at Calvary, you understand that God, in his, what Paul calls, the foolishness of God and the weakness of God, brings life out of death. At Calvary, Christ died as a sacrifice for sins. He was resurrected and now intercedes for us in heaven. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Please hear this, young mother, if you are thinking of abortion. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God will freely give you all that you need to raise, protect, to love, to nourish, to teach your child, to give them a life of safety and significance. God will provide. And if in his providence there comes into your life disease, suffering, and death, he says there's something better, a new life a endure that. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The only thing that can separate you from the love of Christ and the will of God is your choice. Your choice. You can choose to leave him. You can choose to separate from him. You can choose to deny the life that he has caused to grow within you. But if you choose to stay with him, nothing else can separate you from the love of Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Who will separate? Who will take out this undeveloped or developing child out of the mother's womb? Who will separate it from the mother by choice? There are some who certainly are attacked and destroyed, mothers, children, by the violence of others. We're talking here about the choice, the right to choose. Does the mother have a right to choose to separate this child growing in her from an experience with God? He gave life. To a child that he wants in his kingdom, who are we to separate that life, to destroy that life? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Just as is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I'm reminded of those 40 to 50 million abortions every year. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who will stand for the right to life in the unborn child? Who will stand for the right to life in the least of these in human eyes Jesus said if you've done it unto the least of these you've done it unto me who will speak for the least of these for the elderly for the disabled for the mentally disrupted and challenged for the emotionally distraught for the abused for the traumatized who will work in their behalf and for them who will set aside the troubling circumstances that come to anyone who works to help others who works to give life who works to speak life Christ will stand if no one else will jesus is with you he is for you he will help you he loves you have faith don't look at the circumstances look at the word make your decision based upon principles of the word of god act according to someone who knows their father in heaven who understands what he is like what his character is like what he chooses what he wants bear your fruit in faith bear your fruit in faith and god will bless you and prosper you and when death comes as it does to all of us he will give you new life after that sleep there's an eternal life promised to all All who will can take it freely. This water of life. They can drink and eat. The living word of God. And have life within themselves. Hmm? Uh, God bless you. And God keep you. And consider these things. What is the will of God for your life? He'll let you know.